exceptionally strong offshore at first. The outlook warm tomorrow, becoming cooler in the following couple of days. The temperature is 18 degrees, the humidity 82%. The news from RTHK. Hello, this is Jim Gould on Backchat. And I'm Philip Wong. On today's programme, we're talking about uh, Xia Baolong's uh, week-long visit to Hong Kong, which concludes today. The director of the Hong Kong and Macau Affairs Office has been in the territory on a fact-finding tour, meeting uh, various uh, sector representatives, including legal groups and business chambers, uh, with the aim of better understanding the city's development and governance. And Mr. Xia also interacted with the grassroots at a community living room in Sam Shui Po, seen by some observers as a demonstration of Beijing's eagerness to see a resolution of the SAR's deep-rooted housing inequalities. He also met a number of young people and youth organizations, urging them to seize their opportunities. After 9.45, we're learning more about Hong Kong's first uh, major waste incinerator facility scheduled to start to operating next year. And do share your view with us. Do call us anytime on 233-88-266 and join the conversation. WhatsApp us on 6899-8518 or comment on our Facebook page or email us at backchat at rthk.hk. Joining us uh, now on the line, we have uh, Joseph Gregory Mahoney, uh, Professor of Politics and International Relations at East China Normal University in Shanghai. Good morning to you. Good morning. Thanks for joining us. And also on the line, uh, Alan Lung, co-convener international with the Path of Democracy. Alan Lung, good morning. Morning. Perhaps, uh, Pro- Professor Mahoney, uh, we can start with you. So, Xia uh, Baolong has been here for a week. It's a long visit, uh, a very busy schedule. Uh, what do you think we can learn from uh, uh, the focus of his trip? Well, you know, I think uh, your lead-in or your lead-in uh, noted uh, the fact-finding, the, the listening, the, the talking. Um, all of this is is consistent with, I think, uh, um, efforts to uh, finally have turned the corner and, and to start uh, you know, getting down to the hard work of improving uh, uh, local governance. Um, but, you know, it's hard to say. Since his appointment in 2020, uh, recalling that he's been the highest-ranking uh, official to head the, the, the work office, recalling that he's been... Uh, a trusted member of President Xi's circle, that uh, he was entrusted with handling Hong Kong affairs during a rough period, including one in which the authority of his office has been openly discussed. We've always been inclined to ask uh, uh, what sort of signal his actions are sending. And given this history, we might be prone to uh, overinterpreting the significance of such a visit, or perhaps uh, such uh, sensitivities well earned. Uh, either way, uh, here we are. Now, I'm inclined to believe uh, that the view from Beijing is that Hong Kong has turned a difficult corner, and likewise the mainland, and that we can expect greater economic integration where Hong Kong can grow with a greater Bay Area uh, and uh, uh, while preserving uh, key elements of its autonomy. Uh, I'm also inclined to believe, given the overall trend in Beijing, um, uh, that centralization is what we're seeing, um, and that uh, Minister uh, Shah is mirroring, uh, mirroring uh, President Xi uh, uh, and the moves towards a national economic model led from the center, one that can expect uh, some reforms and muddling, uh, muddling through given the need for sustaining growth uh, despite uh, reforms amid global headwinds. This is, well, these are the messages we saw from the uh, Economic Work Conference at the end of uh, last year. And I think uh, Minister Shah's meetings with local business leaders, his reassurances, these remind me of President Xi's meeting with American business leaders on the APEC sidelines in San Francisco uh, late last year. Uh, furthermore, you know, it seems rather obvious to many that the GBA occupies a special place in the president's heart and certainly 
a special place in the Chinese economy, and that Hong Kong itself plays a special role in the GBA, given its unique characteristics and autonomy. Now, in the past, the outstanding question about Hong Kong was how would the political situation uh, be resolved? Uh, that was the main topic of concern. Uh, and now I think uh, uh, from Beijing's per- uh, perspective, the question, that question has been answered. And the question is, how can we move forward with this system to improve local governance and economic performance? Uh, and this is, again, at both the local and regional uh, level. Mm-hmm. Um, um, Alan Lung, um, would you uh, go along with it? You, you agree with that? Uh, the central government thinks uh, that Hong Kong's now uh, turned the corner. Our direction uh, is different and, um, you know, the future is bright. Well, I certainly agree with um, Professor Mahoney's uh, observation. It's about governance. Uh, his trip is really about how to make make Hong Kong better. But I I, I tend to think while the uh, so-called political situation is solved, um, Hong Kong economic crisis is not over. It's just more, more and more coming up because we're <clears throat> squeezed in between uh, the U.S. and China and. Hong Kong International Financial Center status is really a stake. And if if we were to guess before he came he came, we wouldn't have guessed that he 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 visited there were as of yesterday there were twenty three open visits, the reported visits. We don't know how many close visits were there. So it's really one of those facts finding mission uh in uh, Chinese, they call it Diao uh, Yan. You know, it's, it's, it's a bit more complicated than facts finding um, uh, concept. And uh, the, he, he actually met economists, senior economists from Hong Kong UNCCU, uh, the community living room, which you mentioned, lawyers groups, uh, foreign chambers, and even foreign council, which is really a first time for, for Hong Kong Macau Affairs Office, because they, they essentially Hong Kong and Macau Affairs Office deal with internal affairs and never meet, never meet with uh, foreign consuls and foreign chambers. And uh, there was a meeting, uh, four small breakfast meeting, where uh, the Olympic chiefs of Hong Kong, uh, Mr. Falk, mm-hmm. uh, son of Henry Falk, Falk, were yeah. there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. Well, Timothy Falk, yeah, yeah. were there. So. He's really looking at. Uh, I think he's really looking at, uh, at at Hong Kong economic development at at a strategic level, and international financial center is really a core value. I mean, core economic value of Hong Kong to China, because uh, as an international financial center, Hong Kong still cannot be replaced, and Hong Kong is not doing so well because of uh, you know, everybody knows all the uh, U.S. Money, the the has slapped Hong Kong already, and the stock market is such in a desperate state. And I mean, this 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 is a question that needs to be solved, answered today by the financial secretary uh, during his his uh, his speech. Mm-hmm. But overall, I think his visit is really well balanced, and and it's not narrowly focused on uh, Article Twenty Three as one would have expected before he came. And I think he, he's really putting forward the uh, the idea, the concept that national security is not just about uh, 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 legal affairs. National security is, is about economic security as well. And I think he, he, his main 
message is really showing the local government and local community that he cares about the Hong Kong economy and that there needs to be a balanced approach in approaching national security. I mean, many years ago, uh, we actually met uh, Xia Bolong uh, last April in Beijing, uh, a, a large group. We gave everyone an opportunity to speak, and even the students we brought along. And the meeting overran, he sort of spilled out his heart and listened to us. You know, he's a, he's a guy who's good at listening and not just talking. Mm-hmm. And I think this is a good sign that uh, uh, it's turning the corner, not just politically. There's a good chance that Hong Kong could turn the ta- corner economic as, economically as well. You know, before we you know dive deeply into uh, the things that he did the last seven days, which is I must say it it it, it sounds quite hectic um, uh, his scheduling. Yeah. But before you know, before he, when he first joined in 2020, I think that was really at the start of our pandemic. Mm-hmm. And then when he last you know visited us uh, in Hong Kong, I think it was last year in April, and that was when you know our COVID measures kind of died down. So I mean that period was kind of I guess you know different and, and, and special in some ways. You know, Professor Mahoney, how different is it for his visit this time compared to his visit from last time? It must be different, right, in terms of his, like, uh, purpose. Well, you know, a lot has happened and, mm. and uh, since then. Um, we, we didn't really see the full uh, relaxing of uh, COVID controls in, um, in the mainland until um, after mm. they were relaxed in Hong Kong. Uh, we were still unwinding some of those as late as September, although, of course, things had substantially opened um, at the beginning part of the year. Uh, but, but things were starting to move back to, to normal uh, in the summer and thereafter. Furthermore, of course, we've also seen a lot of developments um, in terms of uh, the relationship between uh, uh, China and the U.S. Um, Alan mentioned um, uh, the concerns about uh, um, whether or not Hong Kong is going to be squeezed um, um, by this uh, difficult relationship. I know a lot of people in Hong Kong are concerned about um, um, implications uh, related to U.S. Uh, Federal Reserve actions. So, um, you know, this is uh, uh, the new climate that we live in. So, uh, yes, there is this post-COVID um, uh, opening that uh, that uh, well, we also saw China uh, pressing forward with what it calls major country uh, diplomacy, uh, much more so than ever before because you know, it had been hemmed up by the COVID controls. Um, and that, that got a lot of balls moving uh, around the world, um, which in one way or another uh, have some implication uh, for Hong Kong. So um, I think, you know, we have to keep in mind that the, that the two sessions that are coming up, um, this is typically uh, two sessions within the, the, plenary, the normal plenary schedule, excuse me, the normal um, plenary and, and then a two-session schedule that would be focused on uh, economic reforms and, and um, uh, economic policymaking. Um, and we know that we're in this period of trying to recover uh, still from the, from the pandemic, that Hong Kong, as, as Alan mentioned again, is, is still in the midst of this, as, as we are throughout the mainland. And so this, this um, um, uh, thing where we're, where we're trying to move uh, all together um, um, with an economic recovery uh, being coordinated uh, by policymakers in Beijing. Mm-hmm. I think this is what's really um, uh, driving and pushing. Um, in, in addition to, as we've said, the need to, to reach this new normal and start dealing 
with the practical matters of governance that had uh, been, I think, distracted not only by the pandemic, but by the previous uh, political questions and, and, and problems. Okay. Um, Alan Lung, um, looking to the future, um, uh, Mr. Shah did say that the uh, the one country, two systems was the, the best model for, for Hong Kong's uh, prosperity going forward. Uh, seemed to uh, affirm that, uh, that that one country, two systems uh, was here to stay. Um, what, what did you make of that? Well, I, we, we knew all along that uh, one country, two system is not going to end. There was speculation from outside that uh, it will end uh, in 50 years. Well, that's, that's, question, what, that's what it says in the basic law, obviously. But, uh, but, but you think it'll, it'll well, extend beyond the, that? The, yeah. the, the basic law didn't say that, that it will end. You know, it, it said for at least 50 years. Okay. Mm. It never said it, has, it doesn't have an end date. Okay. So the, the speculation <clears> outside that was they they would it would end but you know his is i mean the uh, the i think the uh, the national policy the ccp policy towards hong kong will not change mm. it's mm. really to hong kong's um, to china's advantage that hong kong is different from any mainland city if hong kong becomes any mainland cities then it loses its value forever and forever i mean China will go on a path of uh, continuous reform and opening and a peaceful rise. And it needs a model, uh, uh, not, not really a model, but a, a, almost a test place, a test market for Hong Kong to behave slightly differently from mainland cities so that they could continue with this sort of national path of uh, uh, development in terms of uh, continuous reform and opening and peaceful rise in the world. Would so you, Hong, mm. Hong Kong remains very valuable in this way. Mm. And Professor Mahoney, what, what are your thoughts uh, on this uh, as well, that, you know, after 2046, you know, like, like uh, Mr. Long mentioned, you know, Hong Kong is a very unique city, especially when you compare it to other, you know, cities in, in China. What do you think will happen after 2046? Do you think it's going to, Hong Kong will slowly transition into like a city that's comparable to China, or do you think it's going it's to keep its uh, uniqueness? Well, you know, at some point there will need to be a formal, some formal attention paid to the to the date, and clearly uh, the rule of law and business interests, especially prefer something sooner rather than later. Uh, I think what we've heard from Minister Shaw should be taken at face value and interpreted uh, as follows: first, that uh, one country, two systems has not eroded into one country, one system, uh, that the reforms that have been put in place in the last few years are relatively complete. Uh, I'm talking about the political reforms, with Beijing not anticipating additional uh, significant uh, systemic changes at this point. Uh, that said, it's probably premature to punctuate uh, all of this uh, presently uh, uh, by changing uh, the date in the basic law. Um, uh, it's, it's reasonable to, uh, to, to wait and to see how the current system is working, uh, how it emerges, uh, from the uh, post-COVID doldrums, how it makes real progress in terms of, uh, of effective uh, governance outcomes, uh, to, see, to, see, uh, to see whether uh, additional uh, reforms are necessary. Um, when might we see the date changed in the basic law? <laughs> I have no idea. You know, I would, I would, I would say you know, 2035 at the latest, which is uh, an important uh, date for a lot of uh, central government planning now, although there are good reasons uh, uh, to, to, to do it, uh, to change it um, uh, um, uh, uh, sooner uh, rather than later. Mm. 
It, it actually doesn't need a, a change in the basic law for one country, two system to to continue. Mm. It's because it doesn't have an end date. They, uh, I think, in, in a lot of ways, uh, um, uh, uh, Professor Mahoney refer him as minister, but his ranking is actually much higher than than uh, minister. You know, he's he's he reports directly to the, this small group. Uh, of the uh, uh, of the CCP uh, in uh, of, of Hong Kong, the Cow Affairs. I mean, he's, he's, he's almost like he's almost like a direct line to the uh, to the Xi Jinping or the uh, the Central Committee of the uh, uh, the Politburo of CCP. So he's he has direct influence, and he, what he says counts. Mm. Uh, but uh, of course, the international community, uh, particularly the U.S. Uh, U.S. press, the foreign press, keep, keep pressing that uh, oh, this is the end of Hong Kong, Hong Kong, blah blah blah, and so on. And I think what he's doing is really trying to reassure not just Hong Kong people, the, but the international community that uh, Hong Kong is still separate under one country, two system. In rule of law, a lot of things, our system is is different. We still have a lot of freedom, more freedom than than any mainland cities. Like uh, we can talk to foreign consuls, which doesn't which doesn't happen in uh, in uh, in uh, uh, once you, you cross the Shenzhen River. So uh, Hong Kong has quasi diplomatic uh, uh, ability, the government, and they, they can deal with in, they can make economic trade deals with foreign countries you no know, those are things that will that will happen but that will that should continue and need to continue for Hong Kong and China to thrive in future so I think it's not just narrow focus on on um, on the economic recovery but really on the very long-term strategy for Hong Kong which I think the uh, the economists, uh, the senior economists like uh, Richard Wong of, of Hong Kong U, advocated that Hong Kong have a debate on long-term economic strategy. But Hong Kong really doesn't have a, a long-term long-term strategy, and and he's trying to to sort of spur some discussion after he leave within uh, Hong Kong that uh, we need a strategy, we need a direction, mm-hmm. and not just. Uh, Oh, oh, the, oh! This 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 thing is wrong, and you try to cover that. It's sort sort of very ad hoc uh, approach to uh, running the Hong Kong, which is not a small economy in itself, although it's only two percent or less of the Chinese economy. Mm. Uh, uh, Professor, um, yeah, uh, Director uh, Xia did spend uh, a, lo- a lot of time with overseas uh, business people and business uh, organisations, chambers of commerce. Um, that was uh, clearly a strong signal that it, you know, very much is interested in maintaining Hong Kong's status as an international uh, business and, uh, and finance centre. Yeah, how, 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 do you, how did you see those exchanges? I agree with Alan. I think it's it's clear that uh, uh, Hong Kong uh, plays a vital role. It, it has long played the role uh, of a bridge, um, and it will continue to play that role. And I think certainly, uh, as Alan said, that uh, Hong Kong uh, offers uh, not only a, a bridge but also a model 
that China can learn from. At the same time, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, it's, it's also clear that there's a lot that uh, Hong Kong needs to learn from uh, the mainland. And, and, of course, Shenzhen itself was constructed as a model um, um, back uh, as, a, as a special economic zone. Um, that, and, and certainly, I think the central government uh, perceives Shenzhen as a model that Hong Kong can learn from in terms of improving its local governance. So this is, uh, let's say, sort of a dialectical perspective that would be um, uh, operating in in um, um, uh, Beijing. That said, uh, clearly uh, the need to reassure uh, international business interests, uh, banks, um, the international financial system as it exists in Hong Kong, uh, this is imperative. And again, I, as I said earlier, I think this is mirroring in part what we saw President Xi doing when he was visiting um, uh, business leaders on the sidelines of APEC last, uh, uh, late last year. You know, pr- Professor, you know, in a, in a world where virtual meetings are, you know, very common, you know, it's safe to assume that, you know, that the director will be having a lot of meetings virtually with, you know, the Hong Kong government, with, you know, important business leaders. So how important is this visit, you know, actually coming in and meeting them face to face and meeting like, you know, the locals? I think it's incredibly important. Uh, you know, I, I, I think uh, the question is uh, why uh, uh, did he come uh, when he did, and, and why um, uh, is he staying uh, uh, for a week? Uh, um, uh, I don't know uh, the, the precise reason for the timing. Clearly, he's he's got a lot on his plate. He's got he's, he's uh, doing a lot of fact finding, uh, meeting, um, you know, not only with with international business leaders and and, and diplomats, but also. Uh, uh, local citizens uh, who can express their concerns. Um, and, you know, um, uh, as for timing, uh, clearly it's an extended visit, one that needed to fit his uh, uh, schedule. Uh, maybe he wanted to get out of Beijing during uh, this terrible cold spell we've been experiencing on the mainland. Um, maybe, uh, maybe you know, the fact that he's 72, or he'll be 72 this year, that he's been director for four years, and given retirement age uh, rules, uh, and the arc of his career, uh, which, is, as noted, has included earlier postings that were more substantial um, um, and which, you know, brought weight to the position that he now holds. Uh, he might be reflecting on his legacy before uh, retirement, you know, surveying the remains of the day. I have no idea. But, you know, my guess is that, is that he's not prone to nostalgia or looking backward. Uh, rather, his visit is in the spirit of addressing new business as is typically the case following uh, the Chinese New Year, uh, especially as we're heading into the two sessions, um, and above all, uh, on providing uh, this authoritative assurance uh, to Hong Kong that this is the new normal, that they can bank on it, invest in it, move forward with it. Uh, All messages that need to be said and heard is China ramps up uh, economic growth efforts nationwide, which Hong Kong needs to join, uh, contribute to, and benefit from. Of course, uh, you know, it's it's taking place during the, the budget uh, week in Hong Kong, which uh, is is important, and and we know that um, uh, review of budgets is also an important part of the annual MPC meeting, which he'll no doubt be uh, an important uh, uh, player in. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think you know uh, again the, the fact finding the the, the uh, direct communication with local stakeholders, uh, this is key. I also wonder, you know, if if we might be seeing. Um, him retiring um, 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 at some point, uh, you know, this year or next. Uh, sometimes what we'll see is uh, people bringing along uh, who might be the the next the next guy. Um, maybe this is a chance to 
um, uh, start grooming someone as his replacement, given the given the fact that this uh, role has has been increased in stature. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what what they're thinking uh, about things like that. But it's it's typical that they are always thinking about transitions as they move forward. So perhaps that's part of the equation. Mm. Okay. Well, I haven't yeah. I haven't heard about uh, his retirement. Mm. Honestly, mm. <laughs> uh, we we uh, we met him in. Uh, uh, Ron Yitong met him again in Hong Kong over a breakfast meeting, and we haven't heard him, him retiring, honestly. And I, I could give some insight on why he come. Uh, Professor Mahoney keep referring it as a fact-finding mission. But this is really in in, uh, in uh, mainland governance culture. This is a Dalian, Qutaiyin, Gao in Cantonese, which is best translated as investigation and research. Investigation and, and research. Yeah. Right. Right. Yes. Right. 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 Okay. Need, okay. Which uh, need face to face meetings. Okay. Uh, um, um, Alan Lung, uh, let's, we can come back to this uh, point in just a moment. Um, we have to say thank you and, um, and goodbye for now t- to uh, Professor Joseph Gregory Mahoney. I know you have to leave us at uh, 9.30. Uh, Professor Mahoney uh, of uh, of uh, the politics and international relations at East China Normal University in Shanghai. We're going to take uh, a short break for a news summary and a couple of uh, government announcements. Uh, uh, before we do, um, a quick look at the weather. It's going to be uh, mainly cloudy, one or two light rain patches in the morning. And uh, top temperature around 20 degrees. Uh, the outlook uh, warm during the day tomorrow, becoming cool appreciably in the following couple of days with temperatures down to 14 degrees or below. It's currently 18 degrees and the humidity is at 83%. The news with Carol Musgrave. The Financial Secretary will deliver his budget blueprint this morning with the future of property cooling measures and the budget deficit among the key public concerns. Many developers, lawmakers and analysts have urged the government to scrap the so-called spicy measures amid a weak property market and falling prices. The Independent Commission Against Corruption has charged a prisoner for allegedly offering a $500,000 bribe to a public prosecutor at the Department of Justice. Ko Waikin allegedly wanted the prosecutor to interfere with the trial of another criminal case Ko was facing. He'll appear before Eastern Magistrates' courts later today. And President Biden is facing a test of his support for Israel's war against Hamas. In the latest stage of the U.S. presidential primaries, the state of Michigan has a substantial Arab population Population, some of whom plan to mark their ballots as uncommitted. We'll have more news for you at 10 o'clock. When cycling, cyclists must obey the traffic laws, just like motorists, and they should respect each other. Cyclists should wear a helmet and other protective gear. At night, cyclists must show a white light at the front and a red light at the rear. Drivers should keep a safe distance from cyclists. As all vehicles have blind spots, drivers should be cautious. Drivers and cyclists have equal rights to use the road. No matter who you are, when cycling, safety comes first. When the local seasonal influenza activity increases, if we fail to strengthen our immunity against flu in time, the risk of contracting flu could shoot up. Getting the flu jab can boost the immunity against flu and reduce the risks of severe complications and death. Don't drop your guard against flu, especially for persons aged 50 or above, children, pregnant women, and residents of residential care homes. Don't wait. Get a jab. Keep flu away. 
You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 233-88-266 and have your say. Welcome back to Backchat with Philip Wong and me, Jim Gould. And we're going to uh, continue our discussion this morning about the visit of the director of the Hong Kong and Macau Affairs Office, Xia Baolong, a week-long visit to Hong Kong, which uh, concludes today. Um, Just before we get uh, uh, back into talking uh, about that, uh, a reminder that, uh, yes, this is budget day today and uh, Radio 3 will be carrying the budget speech by the Financial Secretary Paul Chan uh, live at uh, 11 o'clock this morning and also uh, a news conference uh, this afternoon which uh, begins at at 3pm. We have uh, with us still um, Alan Lone, co-convener international of the Path of Democracy. Also joining us is is Alan Lone, international and independent uh, China strategist and former director general of social welfare. Um, um, Andrew Lone, uh, good morning to you. Uh, Just just before we come to you, uh, there was a point that Alan Lone was making before we broke for the news um, about uh, about the the if you like the, the definition of uh, of uh, director Shah's visit, um, which uh, translates as uh, investigation and research. Um, can you just sort of explain the subtlety of that? How is that different from fact finding? Um, well. I think that the the, um, uh, the consultation uh, exercise on Article 23 uh, has solicited um, a lot of views um, on various definitions uh, of state secrets or interference uh, with uh, by foreign governments and um, and, and various other aspects uh, of this proposed law, uh, which could impinge upon uh, freedom of expression and the kind of liberties um, guarantee under the basic law. Um, I think that it's a question of definition, um, and as um, feedback from from the uh, statements uh, issued from uh, Beijing officials uh, and other sources suggest that, of course, that um, um, Beijing has recently enacted a law on the protection of state secrets, and even there, there are very, very clear definitions and uh, very safeguards there. Um, it's a question of the intention, um, because uh, under common law, um, the, 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 in order to convict, that there are two elements there. First of all, first of all there is an um, um, uh, actus rear, um, and, 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 and also an intention to commit uh, the crime. Um, or even certain activities may be um, um, questionable, uh, but the intention uh, cannot be proved, um, then uh, the, uh, the, the conviction can be, can be squ- uh, uh, quashed, um, especially under Hong Kong's uh, quite stringent um, um, uh, law um, in, in our courts. Uh, because our, our courts are uh, also uh, uh, remain highly internationally respected, uh, with international judges sitting in our court of final appeal. So I think that there's a question of uh, whether there is intention, whether those uh, uh, activities are clearly defined um, and, and, and subject to various restrictions. Um, so I think that the... Um, you know, the caution is, 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 is necessary. Um, I think that at the end of the day, uh, it's a question of clear definition. Uh, and then uh, uh, the uh, common law dictates uh, that in order to prove um, 
in order to convict, one has to, got to prove the intention as well. It's both the, um, um, the act itself and also the intention uh, element is very important. Okay. Okay. We, we, we did uh, say in the intro to the programme as well, talking about uh, um, uh, Director Shah's uh, itinerary, that um, uh, one of the places that he visited was a, uh, a community living room in Shamshai Po, and the, these, these have been organised for people living in subdivided units to give them uh, uh, more, more space to do various uh, activities, the kids to do homework, uh, uh, the, 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 you know, the families to, uh, uh, to cook food, etc. Um, um, to, to what extent does um, visiting that place give some indication about uh, uh, Beijing's uh, satisfaction or otherwise with uh, Hong Kong's handling of the uh, of the uh, um, sort of housing inequality issue. Um, perhaps uh, um, Andrew, um, Alan Lung first? Well, I think uh, it's a, 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 uh, almost a compliment to Hong Kong ICA government at the execution level that he's doing something, mm-hmm. um, and which is a good thing, that he cares about people's livelihood. It's a good thing. And this is part of the uh, uh, investigation and research thing. Which actually has a, an origin in uh, from uh, Mao Zedong in 1929 when he started the first uh, research and investigation, which changed the direction of uh, China from uh, uh, from uh, uh, city revolution to a uh, peasant revolution, and then that that is why they truly, truly believe in this sort of. Uh, research and investigation. So it, it has a much more deeper meaning than mm. just fact-finding. Mm. Mm. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, um, um, Andrew Lang? Yep. Well, I, I think that this comes, um, touches on why um, uh, Sabu Leung is visiting Hong Kong this time, at this point in time. I think there are a number of um, um, dimensions to his visit. Uh, first of all, I think he wants to see uh, how the process uh, leading to the enactment of Article 23 is going on, whether there is sufficient um, feedback and whether those concerns are adequately addressed, and what about the reactions of the, um, the people in Hong Kong and also investors. So focusing on Article 23. Mm-hmm. Uh, second, um, he wants to uh, assure um, businesses, uh, both Hong Kong businessmen and also international investors, um, uh, about the state of the Hong Kong economy and, in fact, the state of the Chinese economy uh, back uh, in, on the mainland. Um, in particular, it's uh, one thing which is actually uh, quite um, uh, significant. Um, it's a def- definitive statement uh, that one country, two system uh, would um, remain permanent. You know, it was well beyond 2047. I mean, this is the, 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 the first time a very high-ranking um, senior official from Beijing has uh, made this a firm um, com- commitment openly, even though there are references to that effect, uh, even from President Xi himself. So I think that is highly reassuring that people do not have to worry uh, that we are already halfway through and there are still uh, headwinds, uh, both um, on the mainland and Hong Kong itself. Um, so that's, that's a, 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 the statement of assurance um, uh, with reference to 2047. Uh, is is, uh, um, extremely useful. The third um, dimension is that he wants to 
um, um, to promote integration, uh, Hong Kong's integration uh, with the Greater Bay Area, as well as the um, China's development strategy. strategy. Um, at the time when uh, China's uh, seeing uh, there are risks as well as opportunities not seen in a hundred years, um, in, in President Xi's words. And that is the whole um, geopolitical situation around the world uh, has changed, uh, and all the, um, um, the, the, the chessboard is, is being reshuffled. Um, at this time, um, China is now um, uh, developing a, um, its development path, uh, 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 reinforcing its development path, um, putting more emphasis on self-reliance, putting emphasis on its um, um, uh, strong points, um, particularly um, connectivity, both internally and externally. Uh, internally, uh, all the, um, the city clusters uh, on China's eastern seaboard um, uh, and, and further inland are being um, connected by high-speed rail network, uh, the largest network in the world, set to double to, to, to 70,000 kilometers by the year 2035. Externally, um, 128 countries around the world have China as the largest trading partner. And even though uh, products are not marked to make in China, they have China embedded in it in terms of com um, components, materials, and also logistics. Um, because the world's seven leading uh, container ports around the world um, um, remain um, in China, including Hong Kong. So I think that this is a, a, a Hong Kong stands to benefit um, uh, if, uh, with this integration into the Greater Bay Area uh, and also beyond uh, to the reservation uh, marked by the compre regional comprehensive economic partnership. Mm. So there are many, many um, uh, um, uh, interesting uh, and attractive opportunities on the horizon which are being drowned by this temporary uh, headwinds, uh, both in, uh, on, on the Chinese mainland and the Hong Kong itself. Last but not least, um, I think Tsar uh, 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 Bolong wants to connect to the Hong Kong people um, because they, uh, with, with what's happened during the past couple of years, uh, there is a um, uh, uh, very clear signal to Beijing that most of the Hong Kong people do not understand what's going on um, think that Hong Kong is a uh, completely um, uh, almost a kind of independent identity away from the motherland. Um, and then the, the, the tragedy is that Hong Kong has lost a whole generation of young people who, who did not understand what's going on in China for the past 40 years, uh, let alone its um, internal dynamics. So this is an opportunity for, for, for him to connect to the Hong Kong people. So I think that these are the four uh, dimensions. Um, um, and uh, his wishes is trying to achieve. Article 23, uh, reassuring businesses, both local and international, um, and also promoting the integration of Hong Kong uh, into China's development strategy, including the Greater Bay Area, and also connecting to the Hong Kong people. Now, earlier, uh, Mr. Lung, you mentioned that the director, Xia, uh, is you know, a very trusted um, advisor and a trusted person um, of uh, President Xi. Now, obviously, I, I, I think uh, you know President Xi will be relying a lot on um, President Xiao's visit and his report. <laughs> so, I believe, like you know, after leaving today, he'll be writing a report um, for Beijing. So, so, what do you what do you think um, he would uh, he would write to uh, Beijing? Do you think after this week long visit that he's been 
having a good impression of Hong Kong? Do you think we're going we're gonna to get an A star or is it going to be like a D? <laughs> Uh, yeah, Alan, Alan Long? Well, I think uh, at the execution level, uh, once Hong Kong ASEAN government is given a direction, Hong Kong executes very, very well, extremely well. Mm. Look at the way we built the NPR and, and even in housing, uh, the, the, the intensity and the, 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 uh, the, the Minister of Housing of Hong Kong, uh, Secretary of Housing of Hong Kong, solve the housing problem is really, really, truly impressive. And the way we built the, uh, our infrastructure, but once they have to be given a direction, and I think Xiaobolong will be, this after this research and investigation, will be reporting more on the strategic direction on how Hong Kong should proceed. And, and it's not just, I, I don't think it's narrowly focused on Article 23. Honestly, that phase is over already. And, and and when I was in when I was living in Singapore 35 years ago, I, we you know they were television advertising every day, uh, saying uh, national defense equals economic defense. And I think this concept needs to be sort of uh, inserted into the Hong into Hong Kong community that we need to have a strong economy and not just narrowly focusing on this. Article 23 thing. And I think he will observe that uh, the good things, the, the, the truly you know, good execution level uh, administration, the administration is doing, but he will be also be reminding of the Hong Kong SAR government that they need to, to have more strategic thinking in economics, in uh, in. Uh, in uh, people livelihood and all that sort of thing, but there is also this this uh, clear indication that uh, Hong Kong need to face international. Hong Kong is an international city, and Hong Kong need to keep ourselves that way. Mm, okay, okay. Uh, uh, just uh, just very quickly, uh, uh, Andrew Lung, could, could we ask you to summarise what sort of uh, what sort of grade do you think uh, Hong Kong is going to get? Well, I think that um, uh, Mr. Saar has um, um, stated a number of times that he has great confidence in, um, in the Hong Kong's administration uh, capabilities to handle uh, various things. And in fact, uh, the new administration is focusing on results-oriented uh, kind of governance model. Um, I think that um, uh, in spite of the, uh, the various headwinds, Hong Kong has been doing too badly. Uh, but I think that this visit um, also is in response to a great deal of bad mouthing about Hong Kong and about China um, and externally. Um, you can see that the, um, because the, the West still uh, really uh, doesn't understand um, the, uh, uh, the, the trajectory of uh, both the China's mainland um, and its policies, um, apart from the rivalry between the United States and China. So there was a, a, a tsunami of bad mouthing. Um, a blackening uh, of, of China that would impact on Hong Kong, uh, resulting in uh, doubts and suspicions. So I think that one of his um, main objective is to dispel some of these doubts and, 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 and give a short
condolences. Now, as far as housing is concerned, it remains a huge, a huge problem in Hong Kong. It's by no means solved, um, yeah, both in terms of the subdivided flats uh, as well as the supply of adequate and affordable housing. Um, let alone the, the huge um, housing uh, bubble uh, inside uh, China's mainland. There's still a lot of um, uh, after effects that needs to be uh, dealt with. So I think the housing still remains a, a huge uh, kind of challenge for both Hong Kong and for the Chinese mainland. And, and I think that his visit is also um, uh, trying to um, uh, uh, clarify a number of issues and trying to, again, as part of the assurance uh, effort, um, uh, the dimension of his visit. Okay. All right. Well, thank you both uh, very much for joining us uh, this morning. That was uh, Andrew Lung, international and independent uh, China strategist. And thanks very much also to Alan Lung, co-convener international of the Path of Democracy. There's never been an easier way to listen back to our programs on your device. Whichever platform you use, the RTHK Radio app is the perfect place to discover all our shows. It's so easy to use, it looks great, and in an instant, you'll be listening back to your favorite RTHK program. You can even tune in live using the app. Go check it out, the RTHK Radio app at your preferred app store. And for the last part uh, of this morning's programme, uh, we're going to be uh, talking about uh, Hong Kong's uh, first uh, large-scale uh, waste uh, incinerator. Um, we heard uh, this week that it would be uh, coming uh, online uh, next year. Uh, to talk uh, more about this, uh, we're joined uh, on the line by uh, Kai Min Chi, who's a professor of uh, water and environmental engineering at the Department of Civil Engineering. That's at the University of Hong Kong. Thanks very much for joining us this morning. Thank you very much, gentlemen. It's a great honor to be here. Great, great. Thanks. So, so, um, so um, this program also involves uh, the eventual closure of the uh, three uh, landfills in the territory. Um, uh, so, is uh, incineration, is it the future? Is this the way to go? Is this how we're going to deal with uh, all the all, all sort of household waste in the future? Thank you very much. I think um, in the waste management domain, uh, similar to the other environmental treatment process, we usually should have different type of tools. Landfill is one type of tool, incinerator is one type of tool. So you won't really judge on like which tool will be the one that you're going to use exclusively. You make a decision, depends on the problem, and sometimes different levels of the use of different kind of tools that combine strategy. So I think that's the situation that we're bringing the incinerations as a part of the picture at this moment, but I won't say it was the only picture in the future. I think I think the government is committed to to closing the landfills by 2035. So, yeah. thank you very much for that question. <laughs> uh, again, a little bit uh, introducing myself. I've been in the waste management field since the beginning of my career. Um, it used to be also. Um, the uh, chairman of the Hong Kong Waste Management Associations, together with the uh, currently speaking more than 10 years as an associate editor in the Journal of Waste Management. Mm-hmm. Uh, internationally, uh, we would never say that you, have, you can have incinerator, therefore you don't need landfill. Mm-hmm. You need to work synergetically. For example, uh, you do have the material in the waste is combustible and non-combustible. And the uh, incineration is only d- going to deal with the combustible one. Right. right yeah. Then uh, even the combustion process being successfully, perfectly being carried out, you do still have what we call the fry ash, 
Mm-hmm. Also, if not also, the bottom ash need to be dealt with. Fire ash needs to be stabilized and still need to be put in the landfill. So landfill is still a necessity when you have the um, incineration to work with. Mm. Now, this uh, waste incinerator, as I understand, also is able to produce uh, electricity power as well. But I wonder, you know, is it a costly process and is it actually efficient in producing, you know, electricity? Well, the it comes to the basic science. Uh, all combustible has what we call a heat value. Mm. All right. And the heat value... Looking at the back at old time, when we look at what we call the incinerator only, our purpose is just to get rid of the waste. Mm. So we burn it, we let the waste disappear, solid waste disappear. Um, and then, of course, you know, it goes to carbon dioxide. That's it. Uh, we have the uh, really, really hot, high-temperature fuel gas coming out, and we didn't make any good use of that. Mm. The situation right now is that basically we're using exactly the same process to burn the waste, but try to recover the energy mm. that we didn't have, that, that we didn't take the chance before. So I won't really emphasize how significant in terms of energy that really benefit mm. us. Well, basically, if you have an incinerator like right now, you're probably going to at most about 1% of electricity that Hong Kong <laughs> is actually going to use all the time. But, um, you know, 1% zero is better than zero. Yeah. So I would say it's a good benefit that we should try to take uh, but um, on the other hand, in terms of the cost, in terms of all of the uh, the other things and calculating, if you're really aiming for uh, having the energy to benefit you quite significantly in an economic way, I would say that's just yeah, but, I mean, in a different uh, way. Have, having, having said that, you know, it, it does involve burning, you know, um, waste, yes. basically. Doesn't yes. that create air pollution. Okay. So this comes to a very important, I would say, message. Um, and it's pretty much all over the world. A lot of people... Um, okay. Back at old time, incineration is not something new. We had a 70, uh, 60. Um, but at its high, again, we're just only burning the waste and generate a lot of air pollutants. That impression uh, gave the incineration a very difficult future. Now, we're bringing all this new animal, so-called waste-to-energy plane. Um, and then we'll say it will recover energy. At the same time, it's cleaner. I was always telling students, and have you, always thought, have you thought about this? It's basically a sign principle. Energy recovery is about energy flow. Pollutant reduction is about mass flow. How come energy flow will come across with mass flow? It doesn't make sense scientifically, right? So... This part needs to be explained. The reality is, back at old time, when you are having really high temperature fuel gas, it's very difficult to treat the fuel gas. You are either using what we call electric static precipitator. Uh, that would not really have any effect if you have really high temperature, or you need to cool it down, or, you know, that, that's going to be also very difficult for that process. Or you use a big house, and big house is basic organic material, you cannot deal with very high temperature. So we just let it go and then pollute. These days, now we drive the temperature down by recovering the energy. And that at the same time also benefit the pollutant emission, or I should say benefit air pollution treatment process later on. That's the reason how come it becomes what we call a cleaner. So yes, today the waste to energy plant is emitting much cleaner air compared to the old time incinerator. Um, 
but nothing is zero. <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, this facility is going to be built on uh, Sekou Chow, which is a, a small island to the south of Lantau, and uh, the, the, the waste will have to be taken there by barge. I mean, uh, it has been, uh, the question has been raised, uh, you know, is this the most efficient way of doing it? Well, if you look at the current transfer station that we have in Hong Kong, targeting a different designated landfill, for example, Waste New Territory landfill, it is also being, uh, uh, being fed by the barge carrying the waste. So I think that part has been there. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, uh, and then, um, and then also, um, yeah. Just just uh, looking at the figures, so it'll be able to handle three thousand tons of waste a day. Mm -hmm. um, so that's about a million tons a year. Uh, the three landfills, uh, I believe, accept about five million tons of waste per year. So we're going to need like another incinerator. I know, I know there's, there's one in the planning, right? In, in, uh, or at least one, probably at least one more. Uh, yeah, thank you very much for the figure. Um, very simple math that I have in my mind that we usually talk about is like, like every day we're generating 11,000 tons of waste mm. in the mm. city. Uh, of course, you, know, you do have the recycling opportunity. Um, so we'll see how much we can further reduce. Mm. And also by looking at the future so-called waste charging scheme comes, mm -hmm. usually the waste going to landfill or so-called being disposal, uh, being di disposed in the, uh, in the landfill through the disposal plan uh, will be reduced. So 11,000 towns at this moment, but we're only having this capacity of 3,000. So you can think about how to make up a gap. Mm -hmm. uh, either you have... Mm -hmm more or the rest just simply rely on the landfill. But again, as so I'm saying that after the waste charging scheme, uh, it expected the 11,000 tons will be reduced. reduced. You see how much yeah. will be yeah. and whether we still need a second one. That mm will be open for discussion. Yep. So, so the main point of having the incinerator is really to reduce the usage of landfills and hopefully, you know, maybe possibly not have landfills anymore. But I guess in, in another sense, a big chunk of that relies on us to, you know, recycle and not to have more waste, basically. So that's also a big part factor in as well, right? You know, in terms of recycling, don't use too much, don't, don't throw away too many things. Like, that's a big part too. Right? Excellent. Yeah, exactly. Um, that comes to the, the pros and cons of the incineration compared to landfill. Yeah. Uh, a lot of, in fact, uh, for greenhouse gas emission, um, the incinerator is better. A lot of people look at the oh, incinerator emitting CO2, but actually, by mass balance, you have that amount of carbon coming out anyway. You will be either in CO2 or in a landfill. Part of them will be in methane, CH4. And we understand the greenhouse gas effect for methane is 14 times than CO2. So, for, frankly speaking, for greenhouse gas effect, incineration is going to be better. But on the other hand, is that uh, we like landfill because the, very uh, inclusive capability of accepting different type of waste. Um, but incineration is, is, is a method you really need to operate way more carefully and you need to really know what kind of material fitting into it. For example, if you fit even combustible, not even talking about non-combustible, shouldn't that get into incinerator? Uh, or if any hazardous materials shouldn't go to the incinerator uh, because it's end up in the fuel gases polluted uh, environment badly. A lot of air pollution control units are not designed for that. But at the same time, if you have a combustible that's too dense, 
then the short burning time will not be sufficient to deal with that. Okay, so, all right, all right. Okay, well, thank you very much for explaining that. Uh, it's very interesting. That was a, a Professor Kaimin Shi, uh, who's a specialist in water and environmental engineering from uh, the Department of Civil Engineering at the University of Hong Kong. Um, we've got a news summary com uh, coming up, followed by a, a shortened version of the brunch because we'll have the budget speech at live at 11. Thanks to our co-host, Philip, as well.